Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We know speaking one's native language is a major part of keeping it going. Reading and writing language is also important, but takes a bit more commitment to learn, especially for adults. To help maintain their native languages, the state of Alaska is working on a unique idea to develop standards for young public school students. We'll look at some of the new methods for building native language reading and writing skills right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMBA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. First Lady Jill Biden and Interior Secretary Deb Holland are the latest high-profile Democrats to visit Wisconsin in support of re-electing President Joe Biden next year. Chuck Kornbach reports on a trip aimed at reinforcing Native American support for the president. The First Lady and the Interior Secretary spent about three hours touring a Menominee-owned sawmill, a tribal college garden where sustainable agriculture is taught, and speaking at a Native Women's Empowerment Summit. First Lady Biden told the conference that President Joe Biden has invested millions of federal dollars to help tribes. Joe and I stand with you and all of Indian country as we build a brighter future together. Interior Secretary Holland spoke about creating partnerships between the Bureau of Indian Affairs and philanthropic groups. I am excited that as one of the first partnerships the Bureau of Indian Education is working with the Trust for Public Lands to build nine new schoolyards in tribal communities. That includes a new schoolyard at the Menominee Tribal School right here. Holland and Biden were greeted warmly. Tribal member Marsha Utella says the Biden administration is moving in the right direction. But Utella says Menominee County, which overlaps the reservation, often ranks as the least healthy of Wisconsin's 72 counties and has the highest poverty rate. I've lived through the results of being the 72, you know, out of 72. Um, there's still a lot that needs to be done. The overwhelming Menominee County vote for Joe Biden in the 2020 presidential election is one of the reasons he narrowly carried Wisconsin. Now the Biden family is hoping it has earned tribal members continued support. For National Native News, I'm Chuck Quirmbach. Researchers at the University of New Mexico have found that COVID-19 hit American Indian and Alaska Native patients hard, even inside the university's hospital. Emma Vandernindy of the Mountain West Newsboro reports. The researchers met with around 500 patients admitted from 2020 to 2021. They found a disproportionate number of indigenous individuals were admitted both in and outside of the ICU, with more than half developing severe cases. They also would stay twice as long at the hospital and were more likely to be put on a ventilator. DJ Perkins is the director of the university's Center for Global Health. He says even though this group had low rates of other diseases that could exacerbate the virus, they still faced a high risk. The strongest predictor 
of severe disease, and it was about threefold higher, was self-identified as American Indian, Alaska Native. Some causes behind these numbers could be lack of access to health care facilities and poor living conditions created by forced government relocation to reservations. Perkins says one way to turn the numbers around is making sure booster shots and testing sites are more available. For National Native News, I'm Emma Vandenlinde. I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Drummond Woodsum, a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com. Support by Penguin Random House, publisher of Contenders by Tracy Sorrell, illustrated by Aragon Star, the story of John Mayers and Charles Bender, the first two native pro baseball players to face off in a World Series. This and other stories at prh.com slash stories of the land. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The state of Alaska just issued a call for experts to help develop native language reading and writing standards for young public school students. It's a unique acknowledgement of the importance of developing strong language skills early in order to keep a key connection to culture. And the skills to read and write language take even time and attention more so than speaking does. Today we'll look into what experts say about making the written language connection for language learners and some of the innovative ways tribes and tribal programs work to make it happen. Join our show by calling 1-800-996-2848 and tell us about your native language reading and writing journey. 1-800-99-NATIVE, that's the number to call. We're joined now from Window Rock, Arizona by Dr. Jennifer Wheeler. She's a longtime educator of Navajo and English. She's Diné. Yate, Jennifer. Welcome to Native America Calling. Yate, good morning. Thank you for having me. You bet. It was good to meet you and your husband, Manny, at the Chemo Theater earlier this week. Yes, that, that was uh, an exciting evening. Thank you. You bet. You bet. Joining us from Tahlequah, Oklahoma, we have Dr. Melissa Lewis. She's an associate professor at the University of Missouri. She's a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. CO Melissa, welcome to Native America Calling. CO, thanks for having me. You bet, you bet. Let's go ahead and begin our conversation with Jennifer. And Jennifer, first off, why the need for spoken language standards for Navajo students? Why are they important? Well, first of all, it's important that that's basically it. It's important that we as Native people continue to speak our languages. And, you know, in the world that we live in today, that is very, very challenging. 
And those of us who are from our generation and our parents' uh, generation, you know, we're doing the best we can uh, to sustain our languages and to speak it daily. And it is very, very difficult um, when it comes to teaching it to our younger generation. So, you know, with all of that as a challenge in itself, how do we apply that into our schools? Uh, for example, for Diner, you know, we have a large um, reservation and we have close to 200 public schools uh, across the Navajo Nation, and that includes uh, Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah. And, you know, that is our responsibility as Diné people, as Diné people residing on the Navajo Nation. You know, it's one thing to find it very challenging to speak our language and continue our language daily in our homes. But then when we drop off our children and grandchildren at our local schools, then that's their responsibility. Mm-hmm. How do we make that connection and how do we keep that connection strong and alive and flourishing? So that's where the standards come in. And, you know, I don't know much about our fellow Native relatives across the nation and, you know, where uh, school standards play um, in their lives. But here at Dene, uh we do have what we call the five content standards that our tribal government, Navajo Nation government, um, overseas, and that's through the uh, Department of Diné Education. Through that department, um, they have several programs, and one of them is called OSCAD, and that's the Office of Standards Curriculum Assess- and Assessment Development. So, you know, this, the five content standards include cultural language, character development, history, and government. And when we talk about language, you know, that is included in those five major uh, content standards. But, you know, all five content standards really work together. So when we teach our Diné language in the schools, uh, kindergarten, actually Head Start and kindergarten up to 12th grade, you know, that is each school's responsibility to make sure that, Number one, the net languages are supported. Uh, the net language uh, teachers are supported, as well as the students and the parents. You know, um, that's where uh, the standards come in. And when we talk about the language standards, that in itself is, is really complex as, as far as, you know, the Western um, education and the Western way of teaching in a classroom. All right. What's interesting here, Jennifer, is that years ago in all tribes, you know, people learned language at home. They learned it in the community, and um, I, there wouldn't have been a need for standards in those days, right? I mean, 100 years ago, you just you learned it from your parents, you learned it from your grandparents, your siblings. But now we live in a world in which it sounds like most or, or a large number of Navajo people, they learn the language in schools. So there has to be this responsibility from the schools to teach it correctly. 
So you need these standards in order to make sure that, that you have a uniform language that's being taught. And uh, could you give us a little bit more detail? I mean, you mentioned the, the five key standards. There's culture, there's character, there's history, government as well. How do those all interact in order to create uh, standards that, that are meaningful? And, and maybe just give an example of how those standards are incorporated into some of these different Navajo language classes and lessons. Well, um, the standards uh, actually are written in Diné. Uh, so many years ago, I believe it was in the 90s, these standards were created. And, you know, they were created by um, a number of people representative of the community and the schools and leaders and so forth. So. These standards really should be uh, utilized through the perspective of the Diné way of thought. Uh, just like you're saying, you know, um, yes, uh, all of us, you know, as, as Native people, you know, we learned our languages orally. Um, you know, for example, for me, uh, I, you know, uh, grew up in the 70s and my first language was Diné. And, you know, my mother and my father who taught me the language did not sit me down in the living room and, and, and get out paper and a pencil. <laughs> and, you know, right. that's just not the way we learned it. So we now um, in, in this society, we're trying our best as native languages um, uh, teachers and educators to figure out a way where we can utilize anything, any type of resource that we can uh, use to um, teach our languages in the classroom to younger, the younger generation. So um, as far as Diné, you know, the five content standards that um, are provided for our people here on Navajo Nation, um, that in itself, you know, is, is, a, is a large um, resource. However, it is available, and, and that's great, and we appreciate it. But how do we use that as a tool and a guide to teach, you know, 25 um, third graders in our classes? How right. do we incorporate all of that into our lesson plans, and how do we, you know, add that into our entire uh, school's curriculum as far as um, language and culture? That's the, the complicated part, and, and that's the challenging part. So, you know, many of us, um, you know, we, we have a network among, um, you know, Native, uh, and in my case, uh, Diné language teachers. So, you know, we get to know one another and we create this uh, informal um, network where we provide, you know, support to one another. And, you know, it, it, it helps to um, provide, you know, uh, training and um, professional development for uh, teachers on, on our reservation. And, and those things keep us going. The other part is, you know, outside of the schools, um, you know, there are many resources available now, and there have been for the past decade or, or two. And, you know, it's just a matter of utilizing these resources if we don't have any ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, 
you know, every state operates differently. All the schools across Navajo Nation, we have three states, and each state requires their own um, standards and instruction and, and so forth. And there are many policies that we follow. So, and even those make things complicated for us. But, you know, for the state of New Mexico, for example, uh, there's the NACA Inspired Schools Network. And this is a really new program. It's under the Dinebizad Nantien Bahuil Ah. It's it's a mentor and apprentice program where um, services are provided. <clears throat> excuse me, training is provided for those individuals, Diné people, who not necessarily went through an education program at a post-secondary institution, but you know, they, they might want to change their career, and if they're passionate about um, teaching in a language, then, you know, they can go through this program where um, right. support will be given to them. So, you know, th- those are programs as examples that we can provide to um, our languages. All right. Well, thank you, Jennifer. And we actually have uh, a representative from the Native American Community Academy who's going to be on our show today. Uh Tersha Toya Wakanda, she's going to join us as well. And uh, when we come back from this break, we're going to hear uh, about some standards that have been introduced uh, through the Alaska Department of Education and Early Development. And Jennifer, I also want to ask you uh, a little bit about, you know, you talked earlier about how you learn Navajo in the home and how these current standards compare to that traditional way of learning Navajo. I think that would gain a lot of insight for our listeners. So anybody with a question or comment, give us a call. Phone lines are open, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Many Navajo tribal services will be closed during the upcoming eclipse. That's in reference to their tradition of avoiding certain practices during the rare celestial event. Many other tribes have their own beliefs and traditions associated with the eclipse. We'll explore some of them on the next Native America Calling. Attention all ranchers, farmers, and conservationists. You can join the Indian Nation Conservation Alliance at their three-day annual meeting in Las Vegas starting October 24th to strategize for a sustainable future. Topics include tribal farming and ranching issues, tribal forestry programs, and more, all to strengthen tribal sovereignty through conservation. The session will also be live-streamed online. More info, including registration at inca-tcd.org who support this show. We're happy to have you along today on Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Do you remember when you first learned to read your tribal language? Or do you feel like you've always known how to read and write? Join our discussion about the difference between speaking your language and writing it. Maybe your tribe doesn't even have a written language. Speak up on the topic by calling 1-800-996-2848. Our producer, Andy Murphy, talked to Joel Isaac. He's the Director of Tribal Affairs for the Alaska Department of Education and Early Development. Joel is a member of the Kanaitsi Indian Tribe and Denina. He talked about the process for developing an Alaska Native Language Arts Standard. By creating the standards for Alaska Native Languages, it makes it to where districts that have immersion programs or bilingual programs aren't having to force their students to switch to an English assessment of their reading and writing skills. 
that have been taught in the Alaska Native languages. From a policy standpoint or from a legal standpoint, standards are part of the mechanism that the state uses for reporting. And so it's just kind of integrating Alaska Native languages into the way that we do that kind of reporting and quality assurances so that there's not a barrier in place anymore is the goal of this. And some of the feedback from the Elders and Youth Conference that First Alaskans Institute puts on every year, this is some of the feedback that came out of, of that conference from the Elders and Youth Workshop around Alaska Native language really kind of showed the need for something like this. And then also the work with the Alaska Native Language Policy Advisory Council. They do a, a report every two years and then looking at that series of reports and thinking about what role does the Department of Education play in helping respond to some of the feedback from public comment, these workshops, and then the reports. And that's really how, how this work came to be. There's a lot of focus around reading by third grade in Alaska right now, and the Reads Act has passed. And so this is just kind of thinking about the different responses to public comment that went through that process as well. What needs to happen for Alaska Native language arts standards to be developed and, and who should be involved in that? The department has put out a request for proposals, which an RFP for funding. Some of the minimum requirements are experience working with Alaska Native language projects previously. We're looking for someone, a vendor who can do work at a statewide level to bring together people who have the technical skills to be able to know about Alaska Native languages and thinking about the kind of skill sets that might be involved in doing language work. It could be a combination of linguists, there could be elders, there could be student participants, there could be teachers, both of the language, the Alaska Native language, there could be reading specialists. It really, it depends on how a, a proposal could be put together and the department isn't dictating that piece. We just are having a set of minimum requirements that are outlined in the RFP. When and if uh, these standards are created, uh, how would they be implemented into uh, actual classrooms for uh, kindergarten to uh, third grade students? It really simplifies what the teachers are having to do. That's the goal of this is to is to to create some simplicity, but also remove that the a barrier of having an English only assessment. And then the department is also working on developing reading screeners in Alaska Native languages. And so this work kind of goes hand in hand with that. That was Joel Isaac, Director of Tribal Affairs for the Alaska Department of Education and Early Development. Let's take our first caller now. We have Rain, who is listening in Deer Springs on station KGLP. Hello, Rain. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sean. Um, I just have a comment. Um, um, first of all, can you hear me? Yeah, you sound great, Rain. Okay, so I just wanted to give a shout out to a school I went to school at. Um, it's Tahoe Sola de Nabooska in Winderock, Arizona, Tagalhotana. Um, and all the wonderful educators who teach there and have taught there since the school was founded. Tahoe de Nabooska is a K through six Diné language immersion school where the students are immersed in the Diné language. They learn how to read, write, and speak the net as part of their overall public school education under the Depart Arizona Department of Education. Um, and I just wanted to say that as I get older, 
I appreciate more the education I received there and have been taught by mostly Dina women who themselves generally are the arbiters of Dina knowledge. Um, I don't think I would know nearly as much as I know now about being Dina than I do if I hadn't gone to school at Tahoto Dina Bolshat. Well, Rain, thank you for that call and uh, a shout out to immersion schools uh, across the Navajo Nation. And Jennifer, I'd like you to respond to that, uh, the importance of these immersion schools. And, and Rain says that uh, Navajo women tend to be the arbiters of, of Diné culture and heritage and language. Would you agree with that? I, I certainly agree with that. And um, she is right about Diné Ba'otka, which is one of the I would say two or three immersion schools on the entire Navajo Nation. Um, my own son, I, uh, Manny and I had two sons and our younger son was fortunate enough to attend Deneba Ulta as well. And um, I, I do appreciate all of the uh, teachers and leaders there. Um, you know, as far as us, um, advocates and educators of our own language, you know, our ideal world would be to have all schools on our tribal communities be taught all in Diné, for example. That's mm -hmm. the ideal world. And although that probably will never, you know, um, happen, what we can do is continue to, you know, provide um, support to one another, especially um, to the uh, uh, language and culture teachers themselves, because you know they're they're the knowledge holders and they are the language holders in this uh, Western world of education. And to have that role is, you know, it's it's a blessing, but at the same time, there are many barriers um, for us. In, in that world. All right. Thank you, Jennifer, for, for adding those insights. And uh, like you mentioned, I mean, the goal could be all of the, the schools teaching the language, but uh, even if you get pretty close, uh, that's still a huge, huge accomplishment. Chanupa is our next caller. He's listening up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota on Keeley. Hello, Chanupa. How are you doing today? Hey, thank you for having me. Whoopi, I talk a little brother, Sean. To the young lady that said she was a uh, you know, um, fortunate enough to be taught at home, that is the ticket. What I said in the Lakota language, it's best taught at home because that's the way, you know, language came from in our everyday speaking with our grandmothers, grandpas, aunties, uncles, moms, and dads. Even our older sisters and brothers taught us the language in certain uh, meanings. So my hat goes off to that and keep it up. I, I support the Race Bad Brothers, Randy and Gary, and my uncle, late John, around him. He used to teach at the Little Moon High School, the Lakota language study, and I still do that every Friday in Potato Creek at an immersion school created. And don't forget, language is the key to our future. Wopilan, thank you, Sean. All right. Well, thank you, Chanupa. We're hearing a lot of good perspectives on the show today. We're also hearing a lot of wise words spoken in different native languages. Anybody else want to chime in? 1-800-99-NATIVE.
That's the phone number to call. Phone lines are open. I want to go ahead and bring our next guest into the conversation now. She is joining us from Albuquerque, New Mexico, Tersha Toya Wakanda, and she's at the Native American Community Academy that Jennifer mentioned earlier. She's the Director of Family Engagement and the Indigenous Languages Facilitator. She is Laguna Pueblo. Guatsi, Tersha. Welcome back to Native America Hi. Calling. Hi, good morning, Dr. Drost. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit more about uh, the language programs there at NACA. How many different Native languages do you folks teach, and how, how do you develop standards? So we're pretty fortunate. Um, NACA's been around in existence since 2006. And when we first started, we only had two languages, uh, or three, I'm sorry, because we had Navajo, we had the Sleda Tiwa language, and then the Sota. We've now transitioned into also having Karis from a Laguna elder and um, Zuni. And we've also added, this year we added Spanish to our high school students. One of the, um, one of the, one of the difficulties, I guess, in a school is that the students that we have at NACO, we have about 450 students and they come from, I would say they represent about 60 different tribes in our nation. With that, Obviously, we can't offer all languages, unfortunately, so we offer the five that are our standard languages. Students that are not um, from a tribe that we offer, um, a few of the classes, they are able to take that language. But we have to really balance what we teach uh, due to that reason, right? Because language is also culture. And so making sure that, that our students also are aware of what they're learning also can be taken home to their community. The standards we have, we're an APS charter school. So we're an Albuquerque Public School, but we're a charter, meaning we we follow the guidelines of APS, but we do also, we teach an indigenous curriculum as far as when we teach history and um, other subjects, and we also are able to offer our own indigenous languages. So the standards, we, we do have some guidelines that we follow, um, which is one of them is state requirements. We here at NACA, one of the, one of the ways we work with our students um, to test where they're at basically for their language is called the SOLEN. So we use that, it's a student oral language observation matrix. We've probably been using that for about, I would say the last eight years is working with that. Our teachers um, are familiar with it, our language teachers, so they know how to use it. And then that data gets reported to the state, which is um, there are some requirements on our half. In-house, um, some of the stuff we do is we do a, what's called a pre-assessment at the beginning of the school year and we do a post-assessment at the end of the year, and that's to, for each of our teachers to kind of gauge or see where their students are at, you know, because we have different learning, um, like a learning curve. So some may be coming with no knowledge of their language, some may have heard it before, and we actually have a few students that, that are coming from homes that speak it, and so they have a lot more, they're not necessarily fluent, but they have a, a more of an idea of how to speak, um, how to say words, we have another, um, a little bit of different situation as well because the, a few of the or a couple of the languages we teach they're not written, and so that also uh -huh. makes it a little different because they have to be taught orally in our classroom. Okay, now Trisha, I I have some friends that have children that go to NACA, and I remember one time hearing that uh, some of the Pueblo languages that are, that are taught there, those are only available to Pueblo students. Uh, other tribal uh, citizens from other tribes can't learn those languages there at the school. Is that true? And if so, why is that? So we have, uh, for the Pueblo languages right now, we have Zuni, Tiwa, and Karis. 
for Tiwa, um, the Asada tribe actually pays their teacher to uh, come to teach their students. And so that is one of the requirements through their tribe. However, um, the teacher that we've had for, since the beginning of when we opened 2006, she has always been willing to take other Tiwa speaking students. Uh, for instance, Sandia Pueblo is one. Mm -hmm. So she does allow those students to come in. For Zuni, I believe it's through their tribe as well that that's their decision. And so for Zuni, it's the same. There's not a like a, a quantum requirement. If you're Zuni and the you know the Zuni teacher says if you're Zuni, then you can learn Zuni. Whether you're one eighth, one fourth, it's just they don't allow other students. Um, I guess from a different like you said a different tribe. For Karis, um, the our Laguna teacher, he's one of our elders. He comes in. Karis is spoken in different pueblos here in our state. So he's, we, um, we hire our own teachers, um, the other besides our Tiwa teacher. And so our Karis teacher makes, is the one that is able to make the decision on, on what tribes he can take in, what pueblos. So he does usually allow any student that's, it comes from a Karis speaking pueblo. They're able to okay. take our language. However, we just always give the, the little, um, you know, background to the parents is that our teacher is an elder from Laguna because sometimes the dialect or the way words are said might be just a little different, but just to be right. clear, so full, like we're fully transparent about it. Okay. Yeah. Navajo, I was going to say Laguna, um, I'm sorry. sorry Laguna seems that or Kara seems like it would be challenging to, to, to teach because the way it's spoken at Laguna as compared to the way it's spoken at San Felipe or the Ua Pueblo, I mean, it's really different, vastly yeah, different. Yeah. But but we it's 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 awesome to see that um, the students and the parents um, support it and they they respect that. I know at other schools they have like a, a Karis teacher for one part of like Laguna and Acoma. They have Karis teachers for like up north, well from Albuquerque up north, meaning like San Felipe, Santo Domingo, Cochiti. But since we only have one and one, you know, he has an assistant at each campus. I assist him at our main campus for middle school, and he has an assistant who's more of a mentor learning to take over eventually at the high school. So they're pretty open to sharing. Like I said, it's that disclaimer, right, of sharing with the families. And the families usually say, no, I'd rather them learn some Karis than not Karis at all, mm -hmm. even if it's a different dialect. So most of the families are usually comfortable with that. Sure, sure. Well, tell us about the success. I mean, how, how uh, are, are these programs working? And just how much fluency do you think is being fostered uh, amongst NACA students with these various tribal languages that are taught? I would say like, uh, I, I wouldn't say that, that anybody is actually like fluent that hasn't come in being fluent. But I would say there's definitely a knowledge more of the language. And we, as a, as a teacher, as teaching program, we have all of our teachers, we work together to create, we use what's called um, the unit by design, understanding by design, we call it a UBD. So basically you work your curriculum backwards, you figure out what you want your outcome to be, right? And then you work backwards of how you're gonna teach. And so as a team, we decide what we, what we want our students to learn. We want them to be able to greet people. We want them to be able to carry on a small conversation. We want them to be able to do their introductions. And so I feel when it comes to that, our students are, you know, get on target by the end of the year. And we offer it to elementary as well. It's just unfortunate we don't get to offer it daily to elementary. Middle school and high school do get it daily. So I feel like we're, if we were to take those elementary students and have them every day, not necessarily like an immersion program, but at least be able to talk with them every day by the time they were in high school, it would be amazing because we could see probably a better outcome. 
Mm-hmm. But I definitely feel like having language is has really inspired a lot of these kids to push forward and be interested in like taking it home to their community. Like, yeah, I do want to learn. Or, you know, someday I hope I can be the teacher. And we're like, yes, that's what we want to hear because you're the future. You, you guys are the ones that we, we have to sustain this, you know? Absolutely. Georgia, thanks for, for joining our conversation. We're going to take a, another short break, but our phone lines are open for listeners who have comments or uh, if you would like to, to share some words of wisdom in your own tribal language, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Uh, stay with us, folks. We're going to come back after this short break, and we're going to learn about an interesting program uh, through the Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma. We'll be right back. Now's the time for all children over six months old to be vaccinated for the flu. Here's Dr. Sandy Chung, president of the American Academy of Pediatrics, with more. It's okay to get both COVID and flu vaccines during the same visit, and it's often the most convenient way for busy parents. Children who are vaccinated for flu are 50% less likely to go to the ER. Visit HealthyChildren.org to learn more. The American Academy of Pediatrics supports this show. You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We are exploring the process of learning to read and write your native language. You can help us out with your perspective by calling in at 1-800-996-2848. And with that, let's take another caller, Mario, who is listening on station KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hello, Mario. Hey, hello. Yate. Yate, how you doing? I'm well. Just want to lead with a comment that our languages um, are the cornerstone of our tribal sovereignty, not in the rights and recognition from the United States or other European powers, but deep down from the earth itself. Mm-hmm. Say this as a tribal leader. When the termination period happened, uh, Ada Deer up there, Menominee took that fight for us to the to the district court. There, it was ruled that because of cultural continuity, that that our sovereignty, which is based on our own languages, is immutable, immutable. Mm-hmm. So the good words being talked today, very good words. I I really uh, like to hear this type of talk, and really want to shout out. Um, there's a language nest in Albuquerque. Um, that they're doing this not based on school principles, but with uh, a language nest by teaching the, the, the young babies. And so uh, good talk today. Thank you. Hey, you bet, Mario. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. And uh, Mario stresses that language is the cornerstone of tribal sovereignty and the importance of, of Native people, young people learning the language uh, early in life. And that's a great segue into uh, the conversation here with our next guest, Dr. Melissa Lewis, who's in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. She's a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, and she's a professor at the University of Missouri. And uh, Melissa, again, CO, and thank you for for joining us. And uh, I want to talk with you a little bit about this program that you folks have going on there. It's called Little Cherokee Seeds, and it's designed to teach young people, very young people, uh, how to speak Cherokee, how to write Cherokee, how to read it. Tell us more about it. Sure. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm very happy to be here. And 
let me try to make a real long story as short as possible. Um, this program is really inspired by my son. I wanted him to speak Cherokee, and there was nothing available for zero to three. And um, a group of women, we got together, and we started a reading hour. I saw um, other folks go to these reading hours in different cities where people who weren't English-speaking would spend 30 minutes, people singing songs, doing puppets, and reading stories. And I thought, well, that would be a great way to start uh, babies learning Cherokee. And so we started with that. We went to two different locations within the Cherokee Nation, and then um, the pandemic began. And we went online, and we had 10 sessions online, and then um, we started seeing what COVID was doing to our community, specifically our fluent speakers. And the fluent speakers who were teachers in our little group sort of said, we need to pause teaching and we need to reflect on what's happening in our community. So we did just that. And we just had conversations. And um, with their direction and leadership, we decided that one hour was not significant enough because within the first two years, over 200 fluent speakers of the Cherokee uh, um, speakers passed away. <clears throat> and that was um, really devastating and a hard hit, I think, to our community. And the fluent speaker said, let's think about what it would take to create a fluent speaker. We're losing so many. We're not gaining any. And they started thinking um, exactly what, what um, one of the other guests said, thinking about when they were children and how did they learn it. And, you know, we laughed. Grandparents didn't put something on the board and write it. We're lucky to have a written language the Cherokee syllabary, but um, that's not how they learned it. All of them learned to read and write as adults, actually. And so that formed the premise of our program, Little Cherokee Seeds, uh, where we wanted to create fluency from infancy. And we now have five moms, and we actually have seven babies. So two of the babies mm. have been with us since in utero, and we have amazing, amazing teachers, um, um, I am not a Cherokee speaker. I'm just a mom <laughs> that wanted her kid and the next generation to learn Cherokee. But I wanted to shout out to our speakers and our teachers, um, Phyllis Sixkiller, Kathy Sierra, um, Bobby Gale Smith, Kenny Glass, and our uh, newest teacher, Mary Rodriguez, who um, right now are picking possum grapes and chica pens with the babies <laughs> and the moms. Yeah. All right. So these um, babies, I mean, they are being immersed in the language literally even, even before birth. I mean, because you right. hear research that when, I mean, children in the womb, they're learning, right? They, they hear words. They understand some of this stuff. That's right. Yeah. So I, I am a health researcher. I am not a linguist and um, not early childhood development in particular, but, you know, it's kind of like matching up what we know about our traditional teachings and Western science. We, we really rely on, again, what would grandma do? What would auntie do? It's like going to their homes, but we actually have an amazing um, um, guest here um, helping us this week, Na'ilima Geisen, and he was kind of teaching us. He was like, 
um, these babies are, you know, uttering the sounds already that are specific to your language only, and I can hear them. And we can see the babies, even our youngest are just a couple months old, and they turn and they respond to words. And the ones that are about, our oldest are, are about 16 months. Some of them can say up to 50 words in the mm. Cherokee language, but more than just being verbal, um, you know, he was really pointing out that they they respond to one another, they respond to the teachers, uh, they respond to directions, and they're thinking and acting in Cherokee already, which is just, it's, it's so exciting, and it's bringing, you know, life and hope to our program, and we hope also to the Cherokee community. Sounds absolutely fascinating, Melissa. Let's take another caller. We have Marilyn, who's listening up in Anchorage, Alaska on KNBA. Good morning, Marilyn. Thank you for calling in. Good morning. I'm saying that in St. Lawrence Island, Siberian Yupik. Thank you for uh, taking my call. My uh, Siberian Yupik name is a fifth generation from Siberian side, but I have a comment. Um, I uh, right out of high school because I speak fluently in my language, read and write it. Uh, I taught K through six cultural academics. Um, I'm the last of the generation to speak fluently in our language from our little village. Um, I retain the older version of the words, but when I go back to the village, my generation forgot some of those words, and the younger generation is at. All right, Marilyn, appreciate you calling in. Uh, had to cut you a little bit short. I think we lost connection, but uh, a fluent speaker calling in from Alaska, Marilyn. Let's take another caller, Lewis, who is listening in the Twin Cities, Minnesota. Lewis is listening online. Hello, Lewis. Hello. How uh, Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, hello, all my relatives out there. I agree with a good handshake. Um, I believe the death of American Indian languages is the death of our identity. That's how important it is to us. We have a commission as American Indian peoples and survivors of genocide to be activists, and I consider the biggest space of activism with the most return on investment is language fluency. Um, we are a race against our elders passing away. We are a race against another, um, you know, type of disease that could take away our elders, like the sister was talking about just here recently. Um, up here in Lakota country, we are doing everything we can with immersion. I'm currently a student in college uh, to be a language teacher myself, and one of the biggest hurdles is understanding how we can create spaces in a colonized uh, English um, environment where we can start um, you know, just basically progressing the language. And I think the challenge, especially with urban Indians, is how do we create organically spaces where we can continue an immersion environment that continues to progress our language and then have those people teach on down? I think that's where our challenge is. And honestly, it is one of the biggest uh, reins of activism that we have as peoples. And I just wanted to thank you so much for taking my call. Thank you for that call, Lewis. Appreciate it. And, uh, Melissa, I'd like to to kind of build on what Lewis uh, shares, you know, this idea of organic spaces, because ultimately what, what these programs uh, that, that you're working on there, Little Cherokee Seeds, and, and what we're learning there at NACA, and also what Dr. Jennifer Wheeler explains there on the Navajo Nation is, 
it's all about scalability, right? Like, uh, you know, the, our tribal nations, we've got a lot of people. And how do we build these programs to the point that we really are able to impact a large number of, of Native people in our communities, in our tribes, young people, middle-aged people, senior? Because that, to me, seems like the biggest challenge is how do you scale these programs so you can make a, a real impact and get a, a large, substantial number of people speaking the language again? What are your thoughts, Melissa? Wow. Well, that's a really difficult question, and I'm not even sure. Well, I am sure I'm probably not the right person to answer it, but I can just tell you from our group's perspective is that a, just just like he said, we, it feels as if we're at a race. You know, we're in this race against time. The average age of a fluent speaker of Cherokee is 65. And so we don't have a lot of time left to learn the language from fluent speakers. And there's not a lot of good research out there about acquiring indigenous languages. Um, one, of, one of the other callers talked about Sagke and um, the University of New Mexico is working to learn about how children acquire indigenous languages and that research has never been done. All we kind of have is grandma's knowledge and wisdom and mm -hmm. that's exactly what we're doing and using. We, that's the time-tested way to learn, to learn in a home but we don't have Cherokee's uh, language fluently in homes. Very few homes have that. So we are trying to recreate that. And, you know, we hope these seven babies will become fluent speakers. That is our hope. That is our dream. That is our goal. And that will take the language another 75 years. So wow. we are kind of in, we have a little bit of our blinders on and, we hope that we can raise funds to continue to add people, to continue to collaborate with other Cherokee Nation and other, uh, you know, Cherokee tribal programs where we can build all those steps together. But to be honest, we're just kind of, um, we're in, we're in, I guess, a crisis mode, to be honest. Okay. But it's fascinating. You mentioned that just five people, five learners, seven learners, the impact of that, how that can extend and, and stretch the language over multiple generations. That's just absolutely fascinating. And Jennifer Wheeler, I, I'd like to go back to you because, it, again, there's all of these challenges with regard to, to teaching and retaining language. But we also have to talk about just the basic Western education model. In, in how present that is in so many of our school systems and so many of our academic models. And, and, and Jennifer, how conducive is that Western education pedagogy with regard to, to our people learning native languages? That's, that's got to be challenging to, to bridge that gap. Yes, um, basically that is the main challenge, and that's just how I see it, is that we not only um, you know, are still dealing with colonization, but, you know, we're trying to decolonize. And as a Native person, that is complicated. As a Western educator, that is complicated. So, you know, on one hand, like I said, and some of the callers and, and your guests here, you know, we as Diné speakers, we were quote unquote trained by our elders to have our own Diné way of thought and learning and teaching. So when we stand with that, we enter this world of Western education 
with all sorts of, you know, teaching methodologies and pedagogies and all of these things that we are taught and trained with in that world, how do we balance that? So if we don't have enough support as Native people, Native speakers, and traditional people, how do we navigate that? And that's how that Western education becomes the challenge itself. That's the monster that we are still dealing with as Native speakers, as Native people. And, you know, like the the person who called in said, realistically, especially because of the pandemic and during the pandemic, we have lost a large number of our elders who are speakers. And that's the same here on Navajo Nation. So we need to really relook at how we as Native people learn in the Western education as we are learning there about science and math and so forth. What happens to the actual learning and teaching time of our language? What is the outcome? What are the results? After years and years, uh, over 25 years I've been teaching Navajo language, I don't see a progression through learning through the Western education. So we as Native people, me as a Diné woman, it is my responsibility at home. I have two sons and I am doing my best in uh, talking Navajo with them and same with my grandchildren today. That's our responsibility. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, thank you for uh, those closing words on our show today. And I want to thank our other guests as well, Dr. Melissa Lugas, Terja Toya Wakanda and Joel Isaac, and also all the people that called in today as well with those great takes a really thought-provoking conversation on reading and writing native languages. For those of you that weren't able to get your call through, I apologize for that. We had a busy uh, phone line today, but uh, keep the conversation going. Social media, we've got a lot of great comments on this show already on Facebook, so feel free to engage with us through social media. We will be back at it again on NAC again tomorrow with a show on different tribal traditions when it comes to a solar eclipse. Thanks again for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. Repatriation is the return of ancestors and stolen culture. The Association on American Indian Affairs and the Citizen Potawatomi Nation host the 9th Annual Repatriation Conference on November 7th, 8th, and 9th. The conference provides in-person and virtual expert training about domestic and international repatriation. Learn how to register at indian-affairs.org. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. 
Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.